right, hello and welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Abdullah Boskert, writing fellow here at the Middle East Forum and director of the Stockholm Center for Freedom, join us to discuss Turkey's Overlook campaign against critics. Mr. Boskert was for 50 if you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. And with that, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Abdullah Boskert. Well, thank you, Stacey. And uh, thank you for, um, for the Middle East Forum for hosting this event and providing me an opportunity to speak uh, on, on my country. Uh, let me just uh, start by laying out uh, uh, the outlook of how Turkey looks today. Uh, we have an Islamist uh, government of President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, uh, who has consolidated so much power in his hands, uh, marginalized all the different factions within, uh, within the ruling Justice and Development Party, um, overpowered the institutions of the Republic, uh, transform them into a whips, a political tools uh, in the hands of the government from the military to the intelligence to the judiciary. Uh, as a result of that uh, huge transformation taking place in Turkey, the policy decisions is pretty much based on the ideological motivation that is the main driving factor on the policy actions of the ruling party. Uh, and we have a ramification of that transformation seen pretty much in every places, not just on the foreign policy, but also the domestic side, uh, from the economic policies to social policies to education policies. Uh, the school textbooks, for example, has been changed a lot. Uh, and uh, the, the, the free and independent and critical media uh, is pretty much decimated. Uh, they were either seized by the government uh, or bought by the government, uh, pro-government business people. And they pretty much uh, are mouthpieces of, of the regime now. Uh, so as a result of that, uh, uh, you see Turkey is uh, gaining a number one position in the, in, in, in the entire world uh, as a jailer of the journalists. As of today, we have 175 journalists locked up in Turkish prisons. Uh, on fabricated charges uh, from all, uh, you know, ranging from uh, defamation cases to, you know, uh, counterterrorism charges uh, and, and pretty much no evidence to support all this very serious allegation, but uh, uh, nevertheless, they were thrown uh, to the jail, prosecuted, uh, actually persecuted by the judges and the prosecutors who are partisan uh, of, of the regime. And we have 165 journalists like myself are forced to live in exile. We cannot return back to Turkey. Uh, our relatives and you know, families, friends, they are suffering on account of what we do. Uh, so intimidation campaign uh, of the Erdogan government reaches beyond the Turkish borders. It's not just confined uh, to Turkey. Um, and this is only one example, of course. Uh, we see the crackdown on all the, uh, all the different sectors, not just the journalists, you know, human rights defenders, researchers, academics, uh, but also you know, diplomats, uh, the generals, you know, police chiefs, and judges and the prosecutors um, who are not uh, aligned with the overriding ideology of the Erdogan regime, they, they were targeted. 
Uh, they were prosecuted, imprisoned, uh, and the numbers are staggering. For example, in the Foreign Service, we have 30% of all the diplomats, uh, including a high-profile ambassador who served you know, um, distinguishedly uh, in, in various positions around the world. They were purged uh, without any administrative or the judicial investigation. They were branded terrorists overnight, and they were purged from the service. And they were replaced by the political hacks uh, appointed by the Erdogan regime. So that's why we see the Turkish embassies and the consulates around the world, not just doing the you know, uh, diplomatic work or the providing consular services, but actually uh, working as spies, uh, collecting information on the critics, dissidents and opponents living in those countries uh, around the world from Europe to the United States, from Asia to Africa, and they were passing this information back to Turkey. Uh, and the result of this huge intelligence gathering against the critics is, is very serious. Uh, not only they, they face uh, abusive criminal uh, justice prosecution, but also their family members and their friends also face uh, you know, legal actions on account of you know, what they do uh, beyond the Turkish borders. Um, so, I mean, um, in, in the Turkish military, which is the second largest military force in the NATO in terms of manpower, um, can we imagine 80% of all the generals and admirals, they were purged, they were simply pushed out. And when you look at the profile of those generals and the uh, you know, admirals, uh, most of them actually had nothing to do with the failed coup attempt, which uh, I believe is a false flag operation back in 2016, um, most of them served in various NATO positions around the Europe from Nor Norway to Italy, Germany, or the United States. So they were specifically targeted because of, uh, you know, they, they are uh, pro-NATO or pro-Western officers in the Turkish military. Uh, and they were replaced by the Islamists or the neo-nationalists. So Erdogan is pretty much transformed the Turkish military uh, into a political tool uh, in, in the hands of his regime as well. Um, so that's, that's what we are facing when we look at the Turkey. So personally, uh, as a journalist living in Sweden, I face uh, you know, uh, threats all the time uh, because of the long arm of Erdogan regime operating in Sweden. Um, but I mean, not just me, but many other people uh, in, in different countries, they also face a similar uh, threats, uh, you know, uh, threats of uh, assassination, um, uh, you know, going after the family and the friends back in Turkey. In my case, uh, 80 year old of my mother, um, she was questioned, dragged to the police station, uh, detained for a day uh, on my account. My father-in-law, um, 79 years old, uh, he was charged all kind of fabricated charges. Uh, spent some time in the jail and he got convicted and, and the case still in, you know, in the appeal pending, uh, but it's most likely uh, the decision, the conviction will be upheld and he will be going back to the prison. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, this is how, how they operate. And then the main motivation behind this uh, is to kill the counter narrative because when inside Turkey, you only hear one story. 
is very much anti-Western, uh, very anti-Semitic, anti-Christian, you know, very xenophobic nar narrative pumped to the Turkish population uh, all the time uh, from, from the TV networks, from the print media, uh, from the web portals controlled by the government. So they only hear one story. When the journalists like myself, you know, living in exile and still trying to work uh, on the journalism field, uh, come up with a counter narrative, you know, shed a light with the facts and the truth, um, uh, Erdogan regime, you know, becomes terrified. So they, they, they want to silence me and many others in exile, uh, you know, using different tactics. Uh, you know, we, we got profiled by the Turkish embassy, we, we got tracked and monitored by the Turkish intelligence agency, and sometimes got threatened by the, you know, uh, networks. Uh, sometimes Islamist networks, not necessarily Turkish ones, by the way, because for the first time we see, I think, uh, a Turkish government uh, trying to curry favors in the non-Turkish Muslim groups, basically on the Muslim Brotherhood networks, sometimes Jamaa Islamia, and at the extreme level on the Al-Qaeda networks. So they use these networks to intimidate uh, journalists like myself and many, many other critics living outside of Turkey. Uh, so if, I mean, the, the ultimate goal is uh, to, you know, uh, to force us to stop writing, speaking up or speaking against the uh, Turkish government uh, with the facts uh, and, the, and the truth. Um, if, if you look at the pattern of the behavior, you will uh, detect very much similarity with what the Iranian Mullah regime has been doing for decades. And, and this similarity is not random, by the way. It's not just the Islamist government, but also when you look at the key, prof, uh, key people, uh, the profile of the key people at uh, the senior positions in the government, um, they, they grew up fantasizing about the Iranian revolution back in 1980s and, and 90s. And these people, you know, clustered around different networks in Turkey, uh, are uh, in, a, in a position of influence today. Just give you an example, the one, uh, Erdogan's, President Erdogan's uh, chief advisor, Sefer Turan, um, who advises uh, Erdogan on uh, Turkish relation with the Middle East, North Africa, Muslim countries. Uh, this guy used to work uh, back in the 90s uh, in a magazine uh, financed by the uh, Iranian intelligence. And many people in this uh, organization actually convicted in 2000. They served some time, uh, and this guy is, uh, you know, grew up with uh, with this uh, ideology. Now he's in key position to make an impact on the policy decision of the of the Turkish government. Uh, he even joined at one time. I will be publishing soon that article. Uh, uh, Israel needs to wipe out from the face of the earth. That was an event organized by the Iranian consulate in, uh, in Istanbul uh, in 90s. And this Erdogan's chief advisor was, a, uh, was one of the key speakers at the event. So, I mean, we can, uh, we can provide more examples, uh, including the head of the Turkish intelligence, Hakan Fidan, as well. So the similarity is not random. They replicate the same template. They, they, they learn from the Iranian regime and, and you know, uh, try to intimidate uh, and even you know, kill the critics living outside of Turkey. So that's, uh, that's how, how, they, how they do it. 
not only controlling the narrative, but also undermining the integrity and the credibility uh, of, of the journalists living in exile by publishing all kind of uh, defamatory uh, smear articles in the Turkish media. Uh, but again, as I, as I said, uh, not many people are willing to speak up uh, considering the series of the threats. Uh, and given the fact that, you know, hundreds, uh, you know, tens of thousands of the people, they were thrown into jail, they were prosecuted. They don't want to risk their, their safety. So they come after you when you write, you know, uh, very critical articles based on the investigative uh, pieces uh, on, on the Erdogan government expose the wrongdoings in their government, how they have been interacting with the radical jihadist organization, uh, not just in Syria and Libya, but around the world in, in many places. Um, they, uh, they don't like that. So they, they come after you uh, with everything they got uh, to, to, to silence you. And I refuse to do that. And I am very much appreciative of the Middle East Forum to put out a statement uh, in support of me when another advisor of President Erdogan, you know, uh, threatened on a, on a television networks asking Turkish intelligence to assassinate me in Sweden. Uh, so, I mean, um, many journalists actually need this kind of supports uh, around, around the world so they can continue doing their job uh, knowing that, you know, there are some people out there who care about you know the Turkey? Who care about the journalists uh, who are still uh, trying to you know to their own profession? Um, with that, perhaps um, I, I will stop there and I will entertain questions from the audience. All right, thank you so much. We really appreciate you speaking with us. Uh, the first question in from one of our viewers is: Turkey had a close relationship with Israel and was on its way to first world status. Uh, can you discuss the forces in Turkey that reversed this trajectory? Uh, well, I think uh, 2010, this uh, Fulatilla incident uh, is the breaking point when it comes to the relation with Israel and, and, and Turkey. Uh, but, uh, you know, looking at the ideology that Erdogan uh, has subscribed for a long time, uh, he is very much anti-Semitic, but he wasn't revealing that face publicly uh, for years because uh, the institutions in Turkey uh, were intact. They were standing against his, uh, his ideology. So he was afraid of putting that uh, trajectory for the Turkish uh, government at the time. Uh, but the, uh, one of the very serious facts I was able to discover in the investigative work in um, and IRGC Kuz Force investigation that was launched back in 2010. Um, and in, in one of the key piece evidence in that investigation came out from a member of the parliament who told Erdogan when NATO discussed putting a radar installation in Turkey uh, close to the southern border in Malatya against uh, uh, you know, Russian and basically Iranian threats, missile threats. Uh, Erdogan privately said this member of the parliament this was part of the court case file, the evidentiary file. He said, uh, I don't have enough power today, but I'm gonna you know, screw uh, the, the, the Americans, NATO and Israel when I have enough uh, power in my hands. So privately he, he was communicating this message to his core supporters. Uh, and after 2011 election, when he was, you know, get, he, he got a, a huge majority, and then, uh, you know, uh, with a failed coup attempt, 
he was able to purge so many government employees from the senior positions. Now we, we see the real face of Erdogan. Uh, so the, the main motivation here is ideology. Yes, Erdogan uh, acts practically from time to time, uh, but that's only for the tactical purposes. When he feels confident enough, he's gonna go back to his true self. Uh, and uh, today we, he we hear a lot of you know, uh, discussion and reports that Erdogan tried to mend the fences with Israel, but he's not sincere in that. He's only for tactical because of the new administration in the United States and the European pressure. Uh, he thinks you know, by closing up to Israel, he may uh, ease that uh, pressure uh, on his government. Uh, but, but basically I think he's very much anti-Semitic guy uh, and he's doing everything in his power uh, to uh, to spread that anti-Semitism, I think, in Turkey. You can see pretty much clearly, you know, every day on the television networks or the print media controlled by, by the regime. Thank you. Uh, does Turkey still have any desire to join the European Union or is that all over now? Well, um, the, you know, the negotiation um, halted for a long time ago. There is no opening of the chapters at all. Uh, from, from the Turkish perspective, I don't see a real interest from the Erdogan government to join the club. Uh, the only motivation for him to pursue this, uh, you know, negotiation uh, is, uh, is for the economic uh, and the trade benefits. Uh, on the uh, political values, for example, you know, human rights, uh, uh, fundamental rights, uh, freedom as such, um, he doesn't care about it at all. But since the European Union uh, is composed of uh, almost 60% uh, of the Turkish exports and most of the foreign direct investment coming from the, from the European Union, he cannot simply you know, push that away. But he said it publicly many times. Uh, he doesn't want I think we lost you. Oops, I cut off there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I had faith you'd come back. <laughs> All right, I think we lost you while you were answering that question um, right. just a few minutes, seconds ago. Uh, but we can we can move on. Uh, should NATO be put on probation, or well, should Turkey be put on proba probation in NATO and deprived of its vote and veto there? Uh, well, I mean, uh, the NATO on the procedural wise, um, it operates on the unanimous decision. Uh, there's no mechanism, of course, to uh, throw, to kick out the member from the NATO, uh, unless the member itself decides to leave the NATO, as in the case of Greece and, uh, and France in the past. Uh, but from, uh, from whatever angle you look at the, the Turkish government behavior, 
um, yeah, they have been undermining uh, the NATO actions and the policies in many fronts. Uh, you know, the purchase of the S-400 uh, long-range missiles is a prime example of that, uh, and threatening to shut off the base, uh, you know, access, denied access to NATO uh, in, in different bases in Turkey. Uh, and, you know, the, many other, other fronts from Syria to Libya is not really working with the NATO, you know, uh, informing them in, the, in advanced actions that Turkish military is taking. Uh, I mean, there are so many different examples that we can provide here that Turkey is not actually aligning with the, uh, not just the NATO values, which is, you know, based on the uh, democratic values, but also uh, the, the military, you know, policies as well. Um, and and so, so many uh, jihadist groups uh, came through Turkey to Syria. Uh, I actually published a uh, confidential NATO documents stating that uh, almost 90% of the ISIS and Al-Qaeda guys uh, came to Syria through, uh, through Turkey, not from Jordan or any other bordering countries. So this, this shows how Erdogan government has tolerated uh, also aided actually abetted these radical groups, um, especially Al-Qaeda groups. I mean, there are so many uh, documentary evidence out there. Uh, some of them I published uh, shows that um, Turkey is not really aligned with the NATO. Uh, when the NATO is trying to crack down on the ISIS and other jihadist groups uh, in Syria and Iraq, uh, Turkey is undermining that. You know, so many foreign fighters with the help of the Turkish intelligence, by the way, uh, they came through Turkey, um, not face any crackdown at all. Um, the Turkish intelligence knew everything uh, about these guys. They were monitoring their communication as such, but they were simply, you know, looking the other way. Sometimes they are actually helping them out, you know, pr uh, providing a treatment, providing the logistical support is, uh, to these groups. Um, I think as of today, uh, Turkey, especially with the huge transformation of the Turkish military after the failed coup attempt. Uh, when, when you see, you know, the purge of almost all the pro-NATO officers uh, from the Turkish military, I mean, it's very difficult to explain how, how the Turkish government uh, is really a, a member of the NATO as of today. Um, I think um, uh, effectively, in effective terms, Turkey is, is not really a member of the NATO. For tactical purposes, of course, they cooperate from time to time, as we have seen, you know, recently in the Black Sea uh, with the American military. Uh, but as I said, these are uh, only for the tactical purposes. Uh, I think on the on the strategic level, Erdogan has no interest at all to be a member of either a European Union or or, or the NATO. Thank you. So Erdogan is moving the country toward an Islamic state. What is the majority view of the public in that regard? And how do you see tensions evolving? Well, that goes back to the original, you know, uh, introductory, introductory points that I raised. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a critical independent or opposition media left in Turkey. They were decimated. Um, I used to work the national daily in Turkey. It was seized in 2016. Uh, before the failed coup attempt, by the way. Uh, so the crackdown started in 2013 and 14 uh, on, on the independent media. So when, when you don't see a counter narrative uh, out there, um, you know, most, almost all the Turkish people, they, they hear only one story, the government story. 
um, you know, they, they see the Western powers, uh, not just the Western powers, by the way, this hostile uh, attitude sometimes uh, pointed at the direction of Russia, sometimes China, but most of the time against, against Western democracies, of course. Uh, and and they, they, they read these stories, they hear this uh, narrative, they don't see alternative facts or the real stories, uh, so they go along with the, with the Turkish government narrative. Um, and I think the only, uh, only thing they can make a dis difference when it comes to Turkey is economic and the financial uh, situation, which Turkey is feeling you know, the pinch at that front. Many Turks, you know, uh, it's very difficult for them to make the ends to meet uh, with the economy going, you know, downward uh, spiral uh, with the wrong policy choices, by the way. Uh, and, and on the foreign policy front, of course, uh, Erdogan is, you know, uh, bullying the neighboring countries and many others, the Turkish businesses are actually making a trade. Uh, so that has an impact on the, on the Turkish exports and, and, and the foreign trade as well. Um, but on the on the political side, um, uh, there's only one story in Turkey. Um, the only alternative is on the on the social media, um, Twitter, uh, perhaps Facebook, and even on that front, they try to you know uh, crack down. Uh, if you look at the Twitter transparency uh, report, for example, issued on a on a, a six month basis, um, over ninety percent of the court care judgments asking to Twitter to censor the content come only one country, Turkey, in, in the entire world. So that shows, uh, you know, uh, the, the intensity of the crackdown when it comes to the social media as well. Um, so that's the only outlet for now, uh, but not, uh, you know, uh, many people, of course, access to the internet and the social media. They, they watch the Turkish TVs uh, and most of them, they're getting the information from there which is controlled by the government, of course. Are there any non-COVID travel restrictions on ordinary Turkish citizens now, for example, for political reasons? Well, well uh, there are some restrictions um, uh, depending on the uh, how the pandemic, of course, progress in Turkey. Uh, but I mean, we see Erdogan government holding uh, political conventions um, every day in different provinces. Uh, and that those restrictions um, do not apply uh, to the ruling party or the Erdogan's people. Uh, it's amazing, actually. Erdogan just the other day um, he was uh, praising this uh, convention. I don't remember which province was that, but he said even you know under the pandemic conditions, look at how many people gathered in that in that uh, convention hall. Uh, so <laughs> the restriction actually is not applying to um, to the powerful people in the in the government. But in terms of the COVID data, um, they actually um, uh, hiding a lot of information. The cases, uh, some of them leaked to the public uh, in the past, uh, and it involved a discussion with the World Health Organization on the credibility of the data coming out of Turkey. Um, as in many many cases, of course, they they fabricate the numbers. Uh, as they fabricate the stories for the Turkish population, because Erdogan is very much terrified that uh, this uh, pandemic, coupled with economic and the financial difficulty, with the people losing their jobs, uh, their their homes, 
uh, that may uh, grow, a, a, you know, a huge opposition block against against his government when the election time comes. So that's why he they try to manipulate and contain and you know the data, uh, you know, including the the inflation and unemployment figures issued by the Turkish government uh, statistical bureau. All these numbers are manipulated, unfortunately, in Turkey. We don't see the real figures. Um, are regular Turkish citizens given incentives by the current government to behave in ways that are conspicuously Islamic? For instance, is there any penalty for women who do not wear headscarves? Um, no, uh, not officially, uh, but you know there are uh, unannounced rules, of course. Uh, if you subscribe this ideology, uh, then uh, you get promoted in the ranks in the government uh, very quickly. Uh, and you get appointed uh, to the positions, even though your credentials are not qualified uh, enough for you to, to get that position. So the ideology is the number one, uh, I think, factor when it comes to uh, entering into, into government jobs. Uh, and that has a trickle down impact on the private sector as well, of course. Many, many people you'll see in the board of directors, uh, major businesses, they're appointing Islamist guys. Uh, to, to be able to smooth out their relation with the government, even though they are operating on the private sector, uh, and some of them perhaps getting contracts and the tenders from the government, uh, and they want a favorable treatment. So not only in the government sector, but also private area, uh, many Islamist guys actually, you know, uh, uh, popping out in the board of directors in the senior uh, positions uh, of, the, of the major major firms in Turkey. Um, so the headscarf issue uh, is not officially, uh, there, is, there is a rule, but unofficially, um, not just a headscarf because the men uh, don't wear head, headscarf, but if they subscribe the Erdogan government uh, uh, Islamist ideology, uh, they have an open field in the sector. Thank you. And in our last few minutes here, what do you see as a solution to this ongoing problem? Is there one and can anything be done? Uh, as I said, I mean, uh, the fundamental rights, freedoms, you know, human rights, uh, they are important issues, but the general public, they don't care about it. Um, they only uh, get mobilized when they see the pinch in their budget. Uh, I think uh, the, only, uh, the only factor that the Erdogan government cannot control uh, is economic and the financial, uh, you know, outlook of Turkey, uh, in addition to COVID, of course, the pandemic. Um, on, on the other front, they can control the narrative in the media. They can, you know, steer the public in one direction. But economic and financial difficulty, even even with the manipulated figure from the statistical agency, uh, people feel the impact on a, on on their lives on a daily basis. Uh, I think Erdogan government has been failing to deliver uh, on that front. They did very good in the first and the second term, uh, you know, until 2011, perhaps. But now we see, you know, uh, a sliding back uh, on, on, the, on the economic front. The un unemployment is rising, the inflation is on the rise, the Turkish lira is losing value very fast, uh, and that has a huge impact on the general population. Uh, I think that's, that's why Erdogan is very much concerned now. Uh, and he, he tried to, you know, smooth out relations with the EU, but he's having very difficulty balancing out uh, with the ideological motivation he has been harboring, you know, uh, in his head. 
Uh, I think the, the only uh, solution that I see in the medium and the long run, uh, Erdogan cannot control a large country like Turkey with you know 86 million uh, people in terms of population, um, cannot deliver the finances and the uh, you know economic uh, uh, you know needs of the Turkish people with this political trajectory because when you bump heads with every uh, regional countries, not just Israel, you know, Egypt and Greece. If you look at the, the map, I mean, Turkey has very bad relation pretty much every neighboring country. Uh, and beyond that, of course, in the traditional, uh, you know, transatlantic alliance partners uh, that serve Turkey, uh, you know, provide security uh, for Turkey for decades from the United States to the European uh, allies, uh, they are, uh, you know, they are very much concerned with Erdogan government. Very bad relations, um, you know, uh, very different uh, problematic areas opened on that front uh, with the Americans and the Europeans uh, and the Russian and Chinese as well. I mean, the Gulf countries, of course. So when you when you when you see this, Turkey is very much insulated and isolated um, at the regional level and the global level. Uh, uh, it, it will be very, very difficult uh, and perhaps the mission impossible for Erdogan government to continue to deliver the social services, uh, you know, economic benefits to the general population. And in the end, I think it will, the, the, the Turkish people will rebel and he'll, uh, he's going to be paying the price for that. Thank you so much. And can you just tell our viewers where we can find some more of your work? Sure, um, I, you know, my investigative work is pretty much focused on the uh, Nordic Monitor. Um, it's uh, very much on the exclusive stories I put out uh, every day on that website, nordicmonitorweb.com. Uh, and it's based on the documentary evidence uh, I, I managed to find out. Uh, so if people, you know, uh, can also, if, if they know Turkish, of course, they can read the documentary, the original documents themselves, and they can make up their minds and, and see, uh, you know, how, where Turkey is heading, uh, the profile of the key people who have influence on the policy decision in the Turkish government. Um, that will be, I think, a great, um, great website, I think. All right. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Unfortunately, we've come to the close of our webinar. Uh, for our viewers, please be on the lookout for our weekly webinar offerings email coming out over the weekend. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for having me. Of course.